Like I said, tonight I'm going to close out this mini-series, which I've titled Dig, and I'm going to focus especially tonight on verses 19 to 25, or at least 19 to 22, and the wells that, that were restored and the wells that were renamed. The wells that were returned to their original state and given their original names, church, because how many of you know that's what God is all about? He's in the restoration business. He's, in, he's all about restoring us to a right relationship with himself. He's all about restoring us to a place of power and a place of purity. He's all about rest, uh, returning and restoring us to our original state, which is the likeness of God. Remember, we were created in God's likeness, and we were created in God's image, and sin altered that spiritual appearance in our lives. It corrupted our character and made that which was once called holy, unholy. It made that which was once called righteous, unrighteous. It made that which was once called blessed, unblessed. That which was once called good, you understand what I'm saying. And what God is all about is He's all about restoring us to that original state, to His original divine design. He's all about restoring us to that place of blessing and blamelessness where we can stand before the Lord with great joy. Look, I don't know about you, church, but I want to be found in that place where I can stand blameless before God with great joy. I don't want to stand before the Lord with my head held down. I don't want to be hiding in the bushes of shame. I want to be able to stand rightly in His presence, and I want to stand there with great joy. And the reality is God is all about that business, about bringing us back to that place of blamelessness. As you all know, sin removed us from a right relationship with God. It pulled us away from His presence. It spoiled the garden, the Bible teaches us, and it spoiled our soul as well. It drove us from God's divine design for our lives. And ever since, God has been in the restoration business. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned, you can see the God of restoration at work. And he's still at work today, amen? He's still at work tonight. He doesn't want to leave you messed up. He doesn't want to leave you broken. He doesn't want to leave you covered with guilt and shame. He wants to restore you and I to this place of blamelessness and blessedness in our lives. It's what God is all about. It's exactly why he sent us his son, amen? So that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So that whosoever believes in him and draws from him can experience the these wells of living water that he wants to make available to us, church. The truth is, Scripture is overflowing with passages concerning God's desire to restore his people from a place of brokenness and fallenness to a place of blessedness and to a place of joy. It's exactly where God wants us to be, church. Remember, what we have to understand is that all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God, and every single one of us, under the sound of my voice, needs restoration. Every single one of us, no matter who we are, no matter what our age is, no matter what our, uh, no matter what our lineage might be, we all need to be brought back into that, that place of power that God has originally designed for His people. Amen? We all need restoration. 
We all need uplifting. We all need rebuilding. We all need God to do a miracle work in our lives. We all need our spirits to be restored, church. We need to be returned to the heights from which we fell. You see, there's a lot of people that don't think they've ever fallen. There's a lot of people that don't think they've ever fallen from a divine place that God had designed for them. They don't see the sin in their lives like the Pharisees did. The Pharisees didn't see their sin. They didn't see their pride. They didn't see their fault. They thought all their hand-washing and ritual-keeping was enough to keep them blameless before God. But they didn't understand and realize that inside of them, hidden deep within their soul, was something that was putrid and wretched. The things of death and disgust were hidden within their hearts, and every single one of us need restoration. doesn't matter how popular you are, how prestigious you are on this earth. We all need restoration. And this is what I want to talk to you a little bit about tonight, God's restoration power. Galatians 6, 1 says, If any man be caught in a trespass, it means if anyone has fallen from glory, It means if anyone's character has been corrupted by sin, you who are spiritual are to restore such a one in a spirit of Christ's likeness. Why? Because it's what Christ is all about. He's all about restoration. He's all about restoring us to a rightful place with our Father. He's all about applying His blood to the sickness of our sin and bringing us back and restoring us and returning us to this place of blamelessness, church. It's what God is all about. He's all about bringing us back to blamelessness. Listen, the devil will try to tell you otherwise, church. When you and I mess up in sin, when you, when you and I uh, tend to have the occasions when we walk in our own ways, I want you to understand the devil will come in and he will try to convince you that, that God is not in the forgiving business. He will try to come and convince you that God is not in the restoration business. He will try to convince you that God is all about punishment and God is all about wrath and God is all about guilt and God is all about condemnation. But I want you to understand that the Bible says, says that there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, to those that have been washed in the blood, to to those that have been restored by the the precious blood of of the Lamb of Jesus Christ. You see, the devil doesn't want you to, to understand and become intimate with the God of restoration. He doesn't want you to come face to face with the one who restores us to our rightful place. So listen to me. The devil is the one that will condemn you. The devil is the one that will blame you. The devil is the one that will pile the guilt on you because the dirtier you think you are, the farther away from God you'll stay. You see, what you need to understand is the dirtier you are, the more you need God. Uh, the, The more reprobate that you are, the more you need God and the more you need to run to God, church. Don't listen to the lies of the devil. I want you to understand that Jesus Christ and God are all about restoration. It's the business that He is in. It's the power of His blood. It is to restore us to that place of blamelessness. And when we get to that place, we can stand there with great joy. Amen? Instead of guilt and instead of shame. What was it David said? David said, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. Why? Because he makes me to lie down in green pastures. Because he leads me beside still waters. Why? Because he restores my soul. 
He restores my soul. He doesn't kick me when I'm down. He doesn't condemn me when I'm down. He restores my soul, church. It's the business that God is in. He restoreth my soul. It's the business, like I said, that Jesus and God is all about. That's the the number one desire God has. It is to see us restored, to see us returned to our original state, to a state of blessedness and blamelessness. He wants to see us returned and restored to a position of power where we can go forth and multiply. Remember before sin, God's command and God's design for you and I was to be an influence on this world. It was to take the power of heaven that was undefiled and and, and unfettered and unrestricted and unsoiled and loosened on the world. We were supposed to go forth and multiply. And that's what he wants us to do once again. But he has to restore us to get us there. And once he restores our soul, guess what begins to flow? The power of heaven and the anointing of heaven and the truth of heaven and the revelation of heaven. It begins and the conviction, the convicting power of heaven will flow through our lives once we are restored, church. And it's another reason why the devil doesn't want to see you restored. Because he knows once you're restored, you have the power to restore someone else. He knows that when you're restored, you have the power to lift someone up that has fallen. You understand what I'm saying? He understands that when you are restored, you have the power to be light and salt to a lost and a dying world. To lead someone to the cross of Jesus Christ so that they can be restored as well. This is the power of restoration, and it's why the devil hates it, church. And it's why he will cause you to think that God is a God of destruction instead of a God of grace. You need to understand that, church. The the sin of this world, the truth is this world and sin together have the power to corrupt us. They have the power to drain us and to damage us. They have the the power to draw us away from a position of power and purity with God. We see it all through Scripture. Sin in this world, they have the power to take away our joy and take away our peace and take away our happiness and take away our anointing and take away our strength and leave us lifeless and useless. Leave us hiding in the bushes of shame instead of standing in the power of His presence. You see, the reality is God has no intention and had no design for His people to spend their life hiding in the bushes of shame and hiding in the bushes of guilt and hiding in the bushes of condemnation. God's design and desire was to always have us dwelling and standing in His presence, walking with Him in the cool of the day. His his divine desire is for us what we've learned over the last two weeks, to plant ourselves in the valley of Gerar, in in the constant presence of the Lord. This is God's desire for us, church. And the devil will do everything he can to pull us away from that place of power, church. To pull us away, to take away our joy, to take away our peace, and to take away our strength and leave us lifeless and useless. Sin has the power and this world has the power to keep us, like I said, from walking with God in the cool of the day, like with Adam and Eve. They once walked with God in the cool of the day. They walked and talked with God. They had a personal, intimate relationship with God. They were a reflection of the kingdom of heaven until sin entered in. It spoiled the garden and it spoiled their soul church. Sin in this world has the power to, as we have learned over the last two weeks, to cover up the wells of living water 
with corruption and with carnality instead. They have the power to leave us dry, church. And it's exactly why here in Genesis 26:18 to 19, Isaac restores the wells. And it's what I want to look at this evening. It says, He dug again the wells his father had dug and restored the names Abraham had given to each of them because he knew they needed restoring. He knew that Abraham's wells needed restoring. He knew that, that those wells had to be brought back to their original uh, design, to their, their, their original intended use, church. And as difficult as it may be for us to confess, as difficult as it may be for us to admit, we too need some spiritual restoration in our lives. We too need to do some digging. We too need to do some returning. We too need to do some repenting. We too need to do some remembering concerning the heights from which we have fallen. We too need to remember our first love. We too need to remember the deeds we did at first. We too, church, have to understand and admit that we need a spiritual restoration in our lives. I want you to understand in today's society, uh, this is what I believe, church. The church needs a spiritual restoration. The church needs a spiritual resurrection. The church needs to return to that place that God intended for it to be, where the power of heaven can flow through the church and make a difference in this world. This nation needs to be restored to its original intended place that God designed and allowed it to be. The place that that our spiritual forefathers had intended for us to be, church. There is a restoration that needs to take place, church, in each and every one of our lives. The sad reality is some of us, like I've said in the past, don't recognize that need. Some of us are dying and some of us are drying up on the vine because we have never taken out the shovel of repentance, church. And to begin to dig deep into the soil of our soul and dig out the flesh like I've talked about over the last couple of weeks. Some of us are dying and dry in our spirits because we have allowed the carnality and the corruption of this world to saturate our soul. And we have yet to fall on our face and we have yet to fall on our knees as the people of God and allow the tears of sorrow to soften our soul, church, so that we can dig out the junk that's in there. You see, the reality is there's a lot of individuals in the house of God, and I've been there myself, where the tears of sorrow have to saturate my soul before I can expect the power of God to be let loose. There's some digging that needs to take place in my own personal life or in your own personal life if we expect the power of God to flow. We think we can walk up, we think so often we can walk up to a well and just slap the name Christian on top of it when it's filled with filth and filled with garbage and filled with carnality and filled with corruption and think that it's filled with power. It's not, church. I don't care what name you put on your well. Unless it's filled with Jesus Christ, it's dead, it's empty, and it's dry. There's a lot of people out there calling themselves Christian. But take off the lid and look at what's inside. Pharisees were the same exact way. Jesus called them whitewashed sepulchers because they had a real fancy robe on. But on the inside they were nothing but death, the Bible says. Please understand, I don't care what title you put on yourself. 
It doesn't matter what title I've been given. It doesn't matter if I'm a doctor of this or I'm a doctor of that or if I'm a pastor of this or a reverend of that. It doesn't matter if I call myself bishop. It don't matter if I call myself prophet or prophetess. If I am not filled with the Holy Ghost and fire, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. And this is what the Holy Spirit is trying to teach us. He's trying to teach us and tell us that this world needs some power to be let loose. And it's only going to happen if we dig the wells of repentance. It's only going to happen if we allow ourselves to be restored to that place that God has designed for us to be. sad reality is a lot of us are happy just where we are. little taste of heaven. Little taste of blessing. I told you a couple weeks ago, some of us are happy just to be sprinkled on now and then. When God wants these rivers of living water flowing up within our souls. Listen, it's what God called the church of Ephesus to do in Revelations chapter 2. He told them to return to their first works, told them to return to their first love told them to remember the heights from which they had fallen. Why? Because remembrance begets repentance. And repentance begets restoration. If you're not willing to remember the heights from where you're fallen, why would you repent? If you don't remember where I used to be, why would you ever want to go back there? Understand what I'm saying? Listen, the, 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 the prodigal son... When he found himself in the middle of the pig pen, the Bible says he came to his senses. But when you study that, he began to remember from where he came. He began to remember his father and he began to remember the household from, from where he came. He began to remember the wanderings. He began to remember the, the, the stubbornness and the selfishness of his heart that caused him to leave in the first place. He began to remember the presence and the power of his father. He began to remember the power of the, his father's name. He began to remember the seat that he had at the table. He began to remember all of those things and he realized while he sat with the pigs, look how far I've fallen. He remembered from where he came and it caused something to happen within the soil of his soul and he repented right there in the middle of his slop and he said, God, forgive me. I'll go back to my father, but listen, I'm, I'm going to go back a changed man. See, a lot of us don't want to go back changed. A lot of us want to go back exactly where we started, you know, but he said, I'll be willing to be a servant. I'll be willing to serve the ones that once served me because he was humble in heart. This is what it takes to be restored, church, and we have to be willing to go to that place. The Bible says Isaac dug again the wells his father had dug and restored the names his father had given them. There's so many truths in this passage of Scripture. I really struggled trying to figure out, oh, where do I want to go? Which truths do I want to highlight? What lesson do I want the people to learn? So I'm picking. There there was a hundred different ways I could go with this sermon. And I know that you've all read it and you can. But I'm just bringing to you the ones that the Holy Spirit just highlighted in my spirit. And here's one of them. Isaac dug again the wells his father dug and restored the names his father had given them. And what you have to see here is that Isaac didn't give them modern names. He didn't give them hip names. He didn't give them cool names. He didn't give them appealing names or candy-coated names. He didn't give them pretty names or popular names. He restored, the Bible says, the names his father had given them. And those names were Esek and Sitna, which mean contention and strife. 
These were the names he gave them, church. He gave them names that most people wouldn't cross the street to draw from. You see what I'm saying? Who wants to go to the well of contention? Who wants to go to the well of strife? I don't want to go there. I don't want to experience contention. I don't want to experience heartache. I don't want to experience difficulty and opposition. I don't want to experience storms and trials and tribulations. You understand what I'm saying? I don't want to hear about sin. I don't want to hear about forgiveness. I don't want to hear about all those things that can make me pure and make me powerful. I just want you to tickle my ears. I want to hear some good names. I want to hear some modern names. I want to hear some hip names. I want to hear some cool names. I want to hear some names that will cause me to walk across the street and sit in on that sermon. You hear what I'm saying, church? He gave them the names that meant something. He gave them the names that, that were a representation of what his father had to endure and what his father had to go through. Listen, please understand me. Sin is sin. I don't care what else you call it. Sin is sin. Right is right and wrong is wrong. And there's only one way to overcome sin. It's through this thing called repentance. And if you don't like those words and you don't like those names, that's not my problem. It's yours. It's not God's problem. It's, It's the hearer's problem. And so the reality is if you and I want to experience restoration, it doesn't matter what the name is. Don't look at that. You have to understand what's behind it, and it's what we're going to look at. He called them Essek and Sitna meaning contention and strife. He restored the names his father had given them as a reminder that well digging wasn't an easy endeavor. He restored those names as a reminder that well doing was not an easy endeavor. He gave them those names as a reminder that cross carrying was not an easy endeavor. He gave them those names, church, these these uncomfortable names, as a reminder that repentance isn't an easy endeavor. That seeking forgiveness and offering forgiveness isn't an easy endeavor. Please understand me, there's a lot of individuals in the house of God that aren't experiencing the power of God in their life because they're unforgiving. Because they don't like that name, because it's too difficult to do, because it's not an easy endeavor to forget about the wrong that's been done to me. They want to sing somebody's done me the wrong song instead of singing Amazing Grace song. You understand what I'm saying, church? That's the reality that we have to understand. If we want to be restored, we have to understand these truths. What we have to understand is that when it comes to restoration, it isn't an easy business. It isn't an easy task. It isn't an easy undertaking. I want you to understand that that restoration takes dedication. Restoration takes devotion. Restoration takes determination. Restoration takes digging. And Isaac understood that. Please understand, spiritual restoration and spiritual well digging isn't an overnight endeavor. It's a lifelong task. It's a lifelong process. But ooh, don't talk to me about that. We're living in an instant society. We want everything right now. We don't want it in an hour. We want it now. Next day dry cleaning isn't enough. We want one hour dry cleaning. Getting our pictures off of our camera used to take weeks. Then it was 
a day, then it was an hour, and now it's instant. You get them right away on a digital camera. This is, the, this is the society that we're living in, and it's why it's hard for us to understand the concept of devotion and dedication and determination. It's why it's hard for us to understand that spiritual restoration and spiritual well-digging is not an overnight endeavor. But we have to understand that, church. Uh, the, the reality is that, we, the, that most of us, we don't want to dig, but we want to draw from the well. We don't want to dig the well, but what we want to drink from the well. And we want to be the first person in line at the well. We don't want to do what's required to receive what's needed, church. And it's what the Holy Spirit is teaching us, and it's what Isaac understood. Isaac understood that if I want, that I've got to dig, I've already taught that, that if I want to be refreshed, that if I want the power, if I want the anointing, if I want the sustaining power of the well, I've got to be willing to dig it. I've got to be willing to invest myself. I've got to be determined and I've got to be devoted. And, and, and it's not going to happen overnight. See, the reality is, I don't know anybody that can dig a, a several hundred foot well overnight. I don't know anybody can do that. But the, the idea that I'm just trying to teach is that we have to be willing to, to persevere. We have to be willing to dig through and press through. Look, I don't want to tarry too long on what I've already preached today and over the last couple of weeks, but one of the truths we can't afford to forget is that when we walk away from the wells of our forefather, when we abandon the wells that I've talked about over the last couple of weeks, it will always take work to get the wells flowing again. It will always take work. Listen, when we walk away from our spiritual responsibilities, our spiritual obligations, and our spiritual duties, it will always take work to get the wells flowing again. It will take work to get the anointing flowing again. It will take work to get the power flowing again. It will take work to get the joy and the strength and and the, the life flow going once again in your life. As I was reading this and, and studying this and writing this, I, I recalled one of, my, one of the favorite vacation places that my family and I would go to when I was a boy. My parents would take me to when I was young was an old cabin on 300 acres on Norris Lake in Tennessee. My uncle owned this old Boy Scout cabin. It was one of the favorite places we went to. It was right on the lake, nobody around, middle of 300 acres. But what I remember is one of the first things that we had to do when we get there, because it was an old Boy Scout cabin, was that we had to prime the well. There was no electricity to the well, so it had to be pumped by hand. It was this big old handle with a big old pump that would have to be primed. And we would have to, we would count, we would take turns. 20 pumps for me, 20 pumps for that person, 20 pumps. It would take 100 to 200 pumps just to get the water flowing, just to get it moving. And the reality is, and I bring that up because the longer that we were away from the well, the longer we didn't draw from the well, the longer we didn't drink from the well, the more we had to pump, the more we had to work. All of us, anyone that the rule was, anyone that wanted a drink from that well had to pump that well. The girls, the mothers, the fathers, the boys, the friends, everybody. If you wanted a drink and you wanted a draw, you had to pump. You had to work. And the girls didn't have to pump a hundred times, but they had to put their hand to the plow. And they had to pump if you wanted a draw. Listen, my point is simply this. If you want to drink from the wells of living water, you better prime the pump. 
If you want the, the life-giving flow of heaven to come into your life, you better be willing to prime the pump. You better be willing to dig the well. You better be willing to do the work. You better be willing to, to persevere. You better be determined, church. And for, in the bottom of your heart, you better be willing to work at it. The sad reality is there's a lot of people that don't want to work. There's a lot of people that would rather be thirsty than to have to sacrifice. There's a lot of people that would rather be hungry than have to go get a job. There's a lot of people that would rather church be thirsty than to carry the cross. There's a lot of people that would rather be dry in their soul than to, than to offer forgiveness to someone that has hurt them. There's someone, there's some individuals that would rather dry up and die like a spiritual prune than to fall on their knees and say, Father, forgive me, for I have sinned. You see, the reality is, the longer you walk away from your spiritual responsibilities, the more work it takes. Oh, please, please grasp this. You can't, you can't skip out on the house of God for a month or two months. And your first week back, expect, woo, the Spirit of God to hit you, Spirit of God to slap you. The sad reality is it's those kind of people that come in and they question the singing and they question the playing and they question the pastor, but they've yet to question, why am I dry and why am I dead? It's because I haven't been in the house of God, because I hadn't been in the presence of God, because I hadn't been digging my own wells, because I hadn't repented, I hadn't remembered the heights from where I fell. You understand what I'm saying, church? You can't expect to come into the, the presence of God after being absent from His presence for weeks. You can't, you can't not do the will of God for a week, a month, a year. You can't not be in the Word of God for a week, a month, or a year and the first time back. Look, I know people. I'm not condemning. I'm telling you the truth. People will come in for counseling with me. And one of the first things I ask is about their prayer life and their reading life. And they wonder, they hadn't been reading for months, hadn't said a prayer in weeks, hadn't come into the presence of God for, they can't even remember how long. And when I tell them to go to the Word, or I tell them to go to the prayer, the first night they go into the Word, it seems dry, it seems boring, it's, there's no life there, and they blame God. Because they're the ones that were away. Listen to me. When you're out of the Word for that long, don't expect for it to jump up and grab you the first time you open it up. You got to dig. You got to dig. You got to dig. You got to persevere until you break through. And it's one of the wells that we're going to talk about when I begin to bring this to a close. But listen, if you're not willing to go through the contention and you're not willing to go through the strife, which I'll talk about in a second, you will never find the wells of living water. You will never find the strength and the flow of heaven in your life. Don't walk away from this forever and expect the first time you open it up that it's, everything's going to be ready. Again, this isn't condemning. I got people that come and counsel me. Pastor Darrell, Pete Cimento over at, at, the, uh, at Life Back Counseling. They have not been living up to their marital responsibilities for years. Marital, marital obligations and their marital duties for years. And they think in one setting, I'm going to make it all better. 
They think in one council session that, that everything is going to be turned around. And it's not the case. The longer you've been away from the well, the more work it's going to take to get it flowing again. But like I said, most people would rather walk away than persevere. Most people would rather throw in the towel than to, than to pull up their sleeves and get to work. More people would rather move on than to dig deeper. But the problem is, please listen, individuals like that, and I'm not condemning anyone that's gone through divorce, but I'm telling you, if you go through a divorce and you have not found restoration of your soul, you're going to the next relationship broken and still in need. Broken and not able to offer anything to the other individual. Broken! And you'll end up in the middle of another mess because restoration has not taken place in your life. God is all about restoration. He wants us to be restored, church. Listen, like I said, when we walk away from anything, spiritually speaking, it takes work to get the water flowing again. It takes work to get the anointing flowing again. The power of God to to flow again in our lives. It's exactly what Isaac understood. If I want to drink from these wells, I have to open them up. And he made it, like I talked about last week, his number one priority. Made it his number one priority. And I'm not going to linger on this, but I want to speak this truth to you. If it's not your priority to pray, you're not going to pray. If it's not a priority to read the Word of God, you're not going to read the Word of God. If the house of God's not your priority, you're going to go fishing or you're going to go camping or you're going to go hunting and you're going to go do something else. But if the house of God is your priority, guess what? You'll be here. It's very obvious and it's very easy. If your marriage isn't a responsibility, it's not I mean, if your, your marriage is not a priority, it's not going to work. It's going to break. It's going to break. And the reality is anything that we walk away from, anything that we surrender our duties and responsibilities toward, again, not to be repetitive or redundant, it's going to take work to get it going again. It's all part of God's process in restoring us to that place that we need to be, church. So as I begin to wind this down, and I'm going to go through these real quick, the first well was Essek or Esek, which meant contention. This well served as a reminder that any time we strive to do the will of the Lord... Anytime we try to dig deeper in Christ, anytime we try to set an example, anytime we try to do, what that, do that which is good and pleasing to the Lord, anytime we try to advance the kingdom of God, anytime we try to do the right thing, anytime we try to loose the truth on, on a world that's filled with lies, church, we will face opposition and there will be contention at the well. Why do you think the devil contends with you before you come to church on Sunday morning? Why do you think he contends with you while you're driving down the road to church? Why do you think he's contending with you in the parking lot of the church? Contending with you when you walk through the doors of the church? And even contending with you when you're sitting in the pews of the church? Why do you think he contends with you and sets himself against you every time you open up the Word of God? Why do you think he contends with you every time you try to put yourself in that place of prayer, wanting the power of heaven to flow into your life? It's because he does not want you drinking from the wells of living water. It's because he doesn't want you to be restored. Do you understand what I'm saying, church? He, he does not want your spirit to be satisfied. Because as long as your spirit is satisfied, the Bible says that you will not satisfy the desires of the flesh. 
If your spirit is satisfied, your flesh won't hunger. If your spirit is satisfied, your flesh won't thirst. If your spirit is satisfied, your flesh won't crave. Your flesh won't be fed, church. So it's why the devil doesn't want you to be satisfied. He knows if you're not satisfied in the spirit that he can feed you the filth of the world, that he can lay it before you and you will come to his banqueting table, that you will sit and dine with him instead of sitting and dining in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This is what the devil is doing, church, with us. But please understand, this well served as a reminder It served as a reminder that someone will always contend with you as you dig for living waters. It served as a reminder that there will always be someone that doesn't like what you're doing. No matter how good it is that you're doing. And I know I'm running out of time. But listen, your life will be filled with individuals that that won't like what you're doing, especially when you're doing those things for God. But what the Bible is teaching and what this passage of Scripture is teaching is no matter the level of contention that comes into your life, you've got to keep on digging. No matter the level of contention that surrounds you, you've got to dig on and you've got to dig through. And we'll look at it in just a second. It, it, it reminds us, this, this well reminds us that there will always be someone trying to take away what's yours. Like the Philistines did with Abraham. See, the reality is, and I'm not going to get too teachy here, and I'm not going to run on with this, but, but Abraham dug the first well, Essek, and the Philistines took it away. He worked and worked and worked. He labored, he labored, he labored. He struggled, he struggled, he struggled. He sweat, he sweat, he sweat. And the Philistines came and took it away, church. But when they took it away, when they took away his first well, he didn't quit. He didn't throw in the towel. He didn't blame God. He didn't get bitter at God. Listen to what happened. He got better at what he was doing. He got better at well digging. When you study the scripture, he turned that situation that the devil meant for harm and he he turned it around for good and he got better at what he was doing. He became known as a skilled well digger and he made money at what he was doing. And I want you to understand that there is a spiritual truth in there that sometimes difficulties and opposition, sometimes struggles and sadness and sorrow, sometimes enemies are allowed to come against you to make you better at what you do, to make you a better Christian, to, to, give, you, to give you better patience, to whatever it is, to make you better at what you do. In this case, it's to make you a better well digger. To encourage you and strengthen you to go a little bit deeper, to not throw in the towel, to not give up, but to move on and keep on digging. It's exactly what Abraham did and Isaac did. They didn't let it destroy their ministry, didn't let it destroy their faith. They moved on, shrugged their shoulders and kept on digging. They let the enemy have have the well and they moved on. Listen, sometimes we waste our time contending with those who contended with us instead of moving on and, and doing better. Listen, sometimes you just got to let it be and go dig another well. You got to let it be and move on and dig somewhere else. It's exactly what happened. And when he went to the second well, he faced not just contention, he faced strife. Strife is, let's start winding this down here. Strife is a lot like contention, but it's a lot more severe. Strife kicks it up a notch. Strife takes things to another level. Strife is the spirit that kicks in when contention isn't enough to stop you. 
Strife steps in when contention isn't enough to deter you, when it isn't enough to discourage you or dishearten you. Strife steps in when contention isn't enough to cause you to hang your harp up on a tree and sing a sad melody. That's when strife steps in. You see, contention comes to discourage you. Uh, uh, Contention comes to dishearten you. Uh, Contention comes to try to cause you to grow weary, to to give up and, and to give in. But if you press on, if you dig on and you dig through, guess what? The enemy's not going to stop. The enemy's going to continue to come after you. And the deeper you dig, I want you to understand the harder the opposition. The deeper you dig, the more severe the enemy will get against you. This is what you and I need to understand is that just because, just because we make it through one well doesn't mean there's not going to be another battle. When David defeated Goliath before he even went to that battle, you know the story. He took five stones out of the well because he knew that Goliath had four more brothers. He knew that there was another battle. He knew that there was another fight that would be coming. And we have to understand that the same exact way. There will be battle after battle. There will be fight after fight. There will be contention after contention and strife after strife, church. But we have to be willing to press on. We have to be willing to go on. We have to continue to dig and dig through. And when we do, we come to the final well that I close with. You see, the reality is when Abraham dug the well of Essek, he encountered contention. They took away what was his. They took away what he worked for. And instead of getting bitter... He allowed himself to get better at what he did, and he dug another well. But while he was digging that well, there was strife. The enemy became violent. The enemy began to set himself against him in a deeper way. You see, that's what strife does. It puts you up on a cross. Strife will put you in a lion's den. Strife will put you in a fiery furnace. Strife will do whatever it has to do to keep you from digging and to keep you from succeeding and to keep you from drawing. But Abraham dug anyway, and Isaac dug anyway. And when they got through that, the first well was taken away and the second well was taken away. So they had to find another location. And they continued to dig in that location. And the third well that they dug, they called Rehoboth, or Rehoboth, which means the wide place. It means the place of breakthrough. It means the place of plenty. It means the promise provided. It means the unrestricted place. There's a lot of names that it has, but I want you to understand because here's the truth that you need to learn and the lesson that I want, to, want you to learn and leave with is that when we are willing to dig through the contention, when we're willing to dig through the strife, when we're willing to dig through the, the distractions and we're willing to dig through the frustrations and we're willing to dig through the opposition, when we're di- willing to dig through the, the storms and the sadnesses and sorrows, God has a Rehoboth for you and me. He has a well of plenty. Please understand there is a place of breakthrough for every single one of us. Abraham's breakthrough wasn't at the well of Essek. Abraham's breakthrough wasn't at the well of Sitna. Abraham's breakthrough was on the third well. I want you to understand that breakthrough doesn't come the first time you go to prayer. Breakthrough doesn't come the first time you seek God. I want you to understand that breakthrough isn't the first time you weep, first time you cry. Sometimes it is, but most times it's not. 
When, when, when Elijah prayed for rain, he didn't get breakthrough until the seventh prayer. I want you to understand that the children of Israel, when they marched around Jericho, they didn't get breakthrough on the first time. They had to march seven times. Understand what I'm saying here. If you want breakthrough, my simple point and lesson is that you've got to endure. You've got to press on. If you're not willing to dig through, you will never break through. See, listen to me. This is what I'm closing with. Most of us want to break through. I know people that have ministries called breakthrough. That's all well and good. But the question is, are you willing to dig through? Most people want breakthrough, but they don't want to pray through. They want breakthrough, but they don't want to have to fast through. They want breakthrough, but they don't want to wait through. You understand, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, walk and not faint. You see, if you want breakthrough, you've got to be willing to do all of those things that I've taught over the last two weeks. You've got to be willing to dig through. You've got to be willing to pray through, fast through. Praise through, worship through, endure through, wait through, whatever. I mean, there's a hundred things that I can say that you must be willing to do if you want breakthrough in your life. This is how it comes. I wish I could tell you that I could stand here and wave a magic wand over you and say, you know what? I want you to have breakthrough in your marriage today. I want you to have breakthrough in your finances today. And listen, I'm not mocking the power of prayer. What I am saying, though, is if you want breakthrough, there's something you've got to do. There's something you've got to do. There's some digging you have to be willing, church, to commit to. If you want restoration in your marriage, you might have to pray through. And it might take more than a week. It might take more than a month. It might take more than a year, church. It took you 20 years to get there, 10 years to get there. Give God some time. If you want breakthrough tonight, I just want you to stand to your feet because here's how we're going to pray. Yeah, God, I need some breakthrough somewhere in my life. I need breakthrough in my marriage. I need breakthrough in my family. I need some breakthrough in my job. I need some breakthrough, God, in my relationship with you. Maybe you need breakthrough in your ministry. Maybe you need breakthrough for your son or your daughter. But, but all of those are well and good. But here's what we're praying tonight. I'm asking you, what are you, commi- what are you committing to dig through? Maybe you've got to pray through. Maybe you've got to fast through. But here tonight we're saying, God, I'm willing to commit. I'm willing to dig. I want those wells of living water to flow into my life to bring freedom. I, God, want Rehoboth in my life. I want that wide place. I want that place of promise that's able to satisfy the thirsty and fill the hungry with all good things. 